Welcome. You are listening to Intentional Conversations from Nika White Consulting, an encore presentation of our weekly podcast where we intersect diversity, equity, and inclusion with leadership and business. Let the conversation begin. Finally, 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 I'm so excited to welcome today's co-host, Netta Jenkins. First, as is our custom, I will read Netta's bio, and then I will ask for a personal greeting. You know what to do, I see vodcast community. Get your emojis, your virtual applause ready. Let's greet our co-host. Netta Jenkins is CEO of Aerodye, a gamified platform for organizations that ignite DEI efforts by measuring the impact of every employee and offers real-time demographic data. We're all about the data. Aerodye's plate platform organically enhances representation, retention, growth, and engagement. Netta is a doctoral student focused on quality systems and management, as well as an author of the inclusive organization listed by Forbes as one of the top four DEI books to read. Netta has been advising corporations and audiences of all kinds for more than 15 years on the most effective strategies to address inequitable gaps that led to a three 100K plus LinkedIn audience and played a key factor in Forbes, naming her as one of the top seven anti-racism educators in the world. She has also given a groundbreaking TEDx talk called Reimagining the Workplace. So y'all know what to do if you haven't already. Let's welcome Netta. Hi, Netta. I would love for you to welcome and greet our IC Vodcast audience in your own way. Yes. Well, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here with you all. Um, Again, my name is Netta Jenkins, and I'm really, really excited to be here. Um, I often like to start off with how I even got into the DEI space, and um, it is Immigrant Heritage Month. Both of my parents are actually from Liberia, and they came to the U.S. Um, in the 80s. And um, and I grew up in the in the suburbs. So it was a predominantly white neighborhood. We experienced a lot of racism, and there was one specific incident when I was seven years old that really changed the trajectory of my career and what I do today. And that was after um, you know standing in the yard with my mother and a white woman spitting in her face and saying, "Blacks don't belong in my neighborhood." And I remember feeling my mother's energy um, and her thinking, I could feel her thinking, well, what do I do? How do I react? Should I do something, right? Or should I just turn around and walk away? And the decision she made that day was to turn around and walk away. And we both went in the house and we did not unpack it, but I remember um, going into my room and vowing to never be silent again. And, um, And that is what has truly propelled me to advocate for people, advocate for people, uh, voices that have been silenced for so long. Um, and, and that started off in school and it's uh, emerged within the workplace as well. So, um, you know, really excited for this conversation today. What a powerful introduction. As, as you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, some of my childhood memories at, as well, and some of the things that stick with you and that carry, uh, that you carry with you into adulthood. And, and these things propel you forward and, and, and really embed in you and make you who you are. So, oh my goodness, 
Yeah, it keeps you grounded, right? It keeps you grounded. It does. It does keep you grounded. That is a perspective. Wow. Um, I I have a question. You know, you said at that time when you and your mom went back into the house, you never unpacked it. Did you ever unpack it? Have you ever? Oh, yeah. (laughs) We unpack it all day long now. within that specific moment that that day that night we did not unpack it you know um I think it was it was the the sheer shock and also as a child right like that was my first overt experience to seeing the world in a total different light yeah Uh, and so as a seven-year-old child like how do you even go about unpacking that I, I was really trying to process and make sense of it I was trying to process my emotions I was also trying to process, well, why, why didn't I do anything? What, what level of fear did I have? Did I know something that I didn't even know subconsciously? Right. So there were all of these thoughts that, um, thankfully throughout the years I've been able to unpack, I've been able to heal by them, but I, I find the real healing is through doing this work. It's through listening to folks stories. It's through, um, creating tools right? That can scale inclusion throughout organizations that can provide the psychological safety um, for for folks within organizations, no matter what your background experience is. Um, So like that has been really, really important for me. And I've always been about, well, how can I see the results and how can others see the results of their impact, right? So. Yeah, I I love that. What what you said, it keeps you grounded it, it it sticks with you and and it you know propels you to to be the person you are today and you know speaking of you know how how does the data drive the experience what type of story do I want to tell and I, I'd really love to talk about your organization Erodie you know why tell me more about that and and why was it important for you to start this platform yeah I'll start with that, why it was so important. It's, you know, with close to 300,000 followers on LinkedIn, um, I received so many messages per day. Mm. And folks would ask, well, Netta, what is the future of DEI? Or folks would say, hey, here's my experience within the workplace. It's either negative or positive. And if it's negative, Netta, what do I do in this situation? Mm. I would also have organizations say, hey, Netta, we want to take action, but we just don't know how. We don't know how to do it properly. We're not seeing the results of our impact. Um, And then I would also talk to leaders and I would ask leaders, well, what does DEI mean to you? Or what does it mean in general? Mm -hmm. And I would hear folks simply say, well, it's about race and gender. And those are core components, but DEI is much more expansive than that. So I said, okay, let me go back to the table and let me whip up something, right? And uh, I started to create this prototype um, and I tested it with a 500 person organization um, and also with leaders. And my background's in behavioral psychology as well. So I really wanted to think about, well, as human beings, how do we start uh, to create positive behaviors, right? How do we create behaviors and patterns just in general? And then I started to think about how I sleep with my phone right next to me. Why do I do that? <laughs> Many yeah. of us do that. It's not healthy. It's not right. good. <laughs> That's the first thing that I'm touching in the morning to look at, even before I say hello to my kids. Like, why is that happening? Yeah. The behavior that I've started to create, you know, it's not, it's not a great one, right? 
But then I also started to think about the gamification element. As mm. human beings, we like to have fun, right? We want to have fun. So why can't we have fun and drive impact at the same time? Mm-hmm. And really, Die was birthed out of that. And it was me thinking about how do we begin to democratize DEI within an, an organization, within every organization, no matter what industry, and also ensure that every single employee is able to work on a goal, right? That they can see the impact of at the end in real time. Yeah. And that leaders can then go in and say, oh my goodness, I know exactly what my organization is doing. So it's not just about demographic data because that's one aspect of it. But if people aren't moving up and advancing within an organization or they don't have that psychological safety, yeah, then it's not right. Like what's, what's the benefit of that? Just to say, oh yeah, we have representation, but people are not happy. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so, so Aerodie is, you know, in a nutshell, a gamify tool that really helps to democratize DEI across an organization um, and really add value in organizations that are early adopters right now are just saying, oh my goodness, Netta, this is the future of DEI. Mm-hmm. We can actually see what's happening or employees are saying, I actually saw the results of my impact and I'm excited about that. And I'm building the muscle to now apply the same energy and do the same thing and share with others. We have um, a a feature within Aerodie called um, goal group sharing. And really what that is, is let's say you're in one part of the business. So I'm in product and you're in engineering and we don't know each other at all, but we're actually working on the same goal within the platform. Well, we're going to know each other. Let's connect. Yeah, let's get this goal together and faster. And that's exactly what many people were doing, especially when I was, um, you know, testing out the prototype. So I think the energy around it, the impact around um, the the platform um, and really allowing for organizations as well to see from a, from a very uh, granular standpoint, the impact that's happening within their organization is is really critical. Wow, that is that is so exciting. You know, being able to measure your own impact. We we talk about that in in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space all the time, especially organizations. You know, we want to know how to measure the you know our our efforts. You know, is anything yeah. actually changing? Are are we moving the needle? And so. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is so powerful, and and probably why Aerodie is described as the future of transforming organizations. You know, I, I mean, I, I truly, I truly feel that, and you know, hearing you describe it solidifies that for me. Um, when when we think about the current state of DEI, yeah. and we know, <laughs> you know, the Supreme Court yesterday just right. you know ended this affirmative action, um, we're, we're seeing what, what I have been calling a war on DEI and DEI efforts. Why do you feel like we needed a new approach? Yeah. I mean, it's critical, right? Because I think for a very long time, DEI leaders, HR leaders that are tackling this work within their organizations, it's simply them that's doing it. It's them or the ERG. And right. that's, it's so unfair, right? But also what happens is then everyone else within an organization then questions the work because they're not working on it, right? And um, and if you're not seeing 
and output, people are going to start blaming, right? Narratives are going to start to shape, take shape as well. And that's what we see happening politically. And we also are seeing the lack of um, people within organizations standing up, especially leaders saying, hey, here's why we stand for DEI. Here's how we're driving these efforts. And here's the impact. Um, and that that is the gap, right? And so that's how come when I when I think about Aerodai and I bring it up again, I think about it and I'm so excited about it, especially within this political climate, because it's now time for organizations to truly know what's happening, to also have a layer of accountability um, implemented so that every single employee is working on these efforts. And yeah. again, the narrative of it just being, oh, this is just about one demographic or this only supports one group is so right. wrong, it right? Is. And yeah. until people start to see, because when I think about DEI, I'm thinking about retention. I'm mm -hmm. thinking about representation. I'm thinking about psychological safety. I'm thinking about so many different components, right? There's so many layers to it. And so as organizational leaders start to say, okay, well, we as an organization want to focus on retention. We simply just want to focus on retaining talent because we had to lay off so many people Yeah, and we're not hiring right now, right? That's okay, but let's bake that into small granular responsibilities so that everyone within the organization now can work on that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's when we're really going to see um, true transformation. We're going to see this narrative shut down as well the other thing, you know, I keep on saying, I spoke at um, a pretty large uh, gala a uh, couple of days ago, right? Oh my goodness. I'm like blanking out here. <laughs> what was it? Just the other day. What day are we on? <laughs> it was yesterday. Wow. Um, so I spoke um, and there was probably about 300 plus uh, communication and PR leaders. And one of the things that I said to them is, do y'all understand the power that you hold. There is a narrative that's taking place right now. And all that I see is, uh, all that I see is, is also a, a narrative of, oh my goodness, DEI is being attacked, but I would love to see communication leaders and PR folks saying, here are leaders, CEOs of some of the biggest, largest institutions in the world that have employees all over the world, here's what they have to say about DEI and why they value it. Here yeah. are the organizations or here's what they're pulling away from due to this narrative as well. Like, can you imagine if we all started to see all yeah. of these videos of leaders speaking about the impact, the narrative, the political narrative that we see will be behind. I agree. But we're not seeing that. And so, right. you know, my, my call to action for uh, those leaders within the room, the communication PR leaders was like, let's reshape and reshift this narrative that's right. being painted um, because DEI, what DEI solves for is to remove barriers so that people can advance. Right. Why wouldn't we as human beings want any individual, I don't care who you are, to simply equitably advance, like make it make sense. Yeah. <laughs> like we have to be as, as a human being for, for us to not want someone to simply equitably advance, you have to have some serious issues. That's right. Yourself. 
with yourself exactly with yourself yeah um I always like to be very very clear about like defining that with with leaders and with employees but again with the gamify tool that really ignites excites people to utilize it kind of similar to how I'm always on my phone uh-huh and you're looking for your points but at the same time you're driving impact and all of a sudden you're like oh crap I drove so much impact yeah. I can do this it's now a behavior and a pattern folks are not being lectured to right mm-hmm. saying, right hey you're, I'm blaming you for this, or you haven't done that. It's no, I I'm actually doing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is. We say this all the time at NWC. We say that the work of DEI is for all of us. It's not just the DEI practitioner who's on staff doing it all themselves. It's not just for those of us you may see putting thought leadership out on LinkedIn. It's not just for those those people who are the CDOs of organizations even. It is for all of us. And in your book, all of us, you talk about ways to be an actionist. And you you speak specifically about closing the racial wealth gap through being an actionist. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Because that term actionist, I don't know that I've heard that and quite uh, used in that way. Yeah, it's a new term I created (laughs) within my book. And the way that I describe an actionist is someone specifically, um, when you're working to advocate, you want to see an impact. You want to see a clear result at the end of the day. So Mm -hmm. a very simple example would be let's say you're at a director level and you're within an organization and you're on the same team as, as me. And I see how hard you work. I see that you're being shut down within meetings. I see all of these things that exist right for you and those, those troubling dynamics. But I also know that you want to move up, right? You want to continue to move, but your, your career is being capped. As actionist, I'm going to take it upon myself to say, okay, I am going to not only advocate for you, but I'm going to help to see that you are going to be at a senior director level and that you are heard within every single meeting, right? Um, And so within a meeting, uh, the way that that may look, if if you're being talked over, then I'm going to say, hey, I just heard what Chrisette said or mentioned. I want to bring that back because what she mentioned was so powerful. Could you say that again? I redirect that conversation straight to you. And you can be at any level to do that. I also could be on the same team as as you. And let's say you're a higher level than than I am. And I can reach out to our manager and say, you know what? Nope. Corset is amazing. Here's how she is driving impact every single day. Here's what I see. Here are the things that she's working on that I know about. I would love to see her at a senior director level. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, so I'm doing all that advocacy, all that advocacy, but at the end of the day, what I want to see is that you're actually in that role and yeah. eventually you get there and I'm able to say, okay, I was able to support I'm, you know, and that's yeah. what true being an actionist is about. You want to see a clear impact, not an ally. An ally is, yeah, oh, I'm with you. Oh, of course, yeah, I see that. In that meeting, folks were talking over you, but are you okay? 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's an out that could, you know, that's what I typically see allies do come after the fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I stand with you. I'm so sorry you went through that, but are you okay after the fact? And action is no. You're you're tackling mm-hmm. that that um issue right at hand and you're looking for a clear result and impact. I love that. You're talking about creating visibility for other people. You're talking about amplifying voices and and doing that in in a direct way. Um, You know, so often I think that we feel like leaders should be the people who do that. You're a leader. This is something that that you should do. And and I I think a lot of times with, with DEI, that's maybe one of the reasons people don't feel like the work belongs to them. Because yeah. they're like, well, I'm, you know, I'm just an individual contributor or I'm, I'm just, you know, a lowly associate, you know, I'm looking to the manager, the director, the senior manager, the senior director to do that work. And, and I, I agree with you, it, it does belong to all of us. And, and I'm, I'm curious how the data factors in, because you talk specifically in your book about leaders and those who work in leadership and how one of their primary focus areas should be measuring demographic data and the tool you developed helps with that. Can you can you give us a little bit of, of insight there? Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of data points that, <laughs> that leaders should be measuring and um, throughout the application and that's, that's embedded there, but taking one small feature, the self ID feature, the demographic data, um, it's really key that leaders are able to see, and, and even employees are able to see the intersectional demographic. So for a very long time, you know, um, when when organizations put out, you know, how they're doing from a demographic perspective, it's it's always kind of one-sided, right? Or we see the yeah. two or more races, and then we're just like, well, what does that really sell for? <laughs> like, who was that, right? Do you even know uh, the the compilation of that population? That exists. And so with Aerodyte, we have advanced options. So are you a caregiver? What type of caregiver are you, right? Are you caring for a pet? Are you caring for children? Are you a single parent, right? So it really breaks it down because really it's not for an organization to post, boat, just simply boast about having representation. It's for an organization to take a look at their demographic and say, okay, here's what we know. We have 40% of the people within our organization that identify as transgender, what type of benefit package do we have for this population? Mm-hmm. Right? We have a population of people that are Middle Eastern, right? Um, that are caregivers. What do we have for that population? So it's really about breaking it, not boasting, but breaking it down to shape policies and benefits for populations of people within organizations that can help them advance that can remove stress levels for them. And um, it's those type of advanced features that I think is is really, really important when we start to talk about demographic data, like how granular are we getting with that? Um, to ensure that that we're, we're truly creating an inclusive workplace. Mm-hmm. The other data that we have are the, the KPIs, right? So mm-hmm. without within the organization, they would work on a number of goals and responsibilities through Aerodyne. Um, and of course those are gamified and all of that. So it makes it really fun and unique, but um, what also they can pull is, hey, what are those KPIs that are being worked on? So the organization that I tested this in, 
Um, they have to, um, you know, they have to submit RFPs. Many organizations have to submit RFPs. Yeah. And so it's one thing if you're just submitting demographic data, uh, here's our representation. That's not enough, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, is your representation actually moving? Do they have opportunities to advance, right? And so with these KPIs, an organization can say, okay, well, we're focused on psychological safety mm-hmm. as an organization. And spe- here are the specific goals that we're working on. Here's the breakdown of what we're working on as well. Um, and again, the organization that I had tested this in, we had to um, complete an RFP. They ended up winning a $7.7 multi-million dollar RFP. And, wow. um, and uh, within the hearing, um, that organization specifically said, hey, we're moving along with this company due to their DEI efforts the sole DEI efforts was the platform, right? Because now they could get granular and say, well, this is actually what we're working on. And because we're working specifically on this, and that here's how many people throughout the organization that's working on this, here's the impact of this goal, this KPI, and here's how we increased in representation. Now it's making sense. Yeah. 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 I, I love that. I'm, I'm so in, inspired. One of the things that you know, it has been rattling around my brain space lately is, is just all of the, all of the naysayers about DEI, mm-hmm. all of the, the misinformation that is out there and, um, and thinking through, you know, how to combat that working smarter and not harder. One of the arguments that I constantly see is how uh, subjective DEI is, you know, how biased DEI is, and it's not supposed to be. Um, And I'm curious to know what you think about that, especially when it comes to the DEI measurement process that you're, you know, talking about. And I can, I can tell that we have some commonality. We, we love data and my colleague, Dr. Uh, Michelle um, on the line as well, she loves data. And so talk to me a little bit about how, what role subjectivity plays in the DEI measurement process and how we can reduce subjectivity in DEI. Yeah, yeah. So that was another thing in thinking about Aerodai, it's if if folks are working on specific KPIs with granular responsibilities, um, if they do it or they don't, the system will be able to share that. And now it removes subjectivity activity, right? Because like, let's say you have an odd dynamic with your manager, a manager can't say, well, you know, I don't like this. I don't like so-and-so. So they didn't do too well. Sometimes that happens within organizations, yeah. right. but with Paradise tool, now a manager is looking and saying, well, this person completed their goal, their KPI. And here was the impact of their efforts. You can't do anything with that. Right? Yeah. Like it's in the system. Folks yeah. can access it. So there's a level of accountability and it it totally removes subjectivity. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, what, what can be challenging at times and you talk a little bit about unconscious bias is there are a lot of workshops and trainings around unconscious bias. Right. And the thing about that is as human beings, we can either say, okay, well, I'm going to apply this or I'm not going to apply this. And that's typically what happens with workshops and trainings as well-meaning as they'd like to be, right? Um, And so with with Aerodai, it's it's a bit different because people are actually doing 
right? They're not being lectured to, uh, they're not being told, well, if you don't do this, here's what's going to happen, but there's no measuring tool to actually highlight that they didn't yeah. <laughs> apply that, right? It becomes like very subjective. Um, so again, I think, I think it's, it's, it's all very, very interesting, but it's, it's really important to have a tool that can highlight um, and showcase the impact and efforts of, of what people are doing. So then that can remove that subjective subjectivity and, and a level of bias as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they understand it as opposed to being lectured to, to do yeah. something when they're having fun doing it. Yeah. Yeah. No one likes to be lectured to, you know, in, in the history of being told what to do, told to calm down, whatever, it never works. You know, we, we know that. And so yeah. sometimes I think, you know, why are we doing things that we it's know not it's not going to work. Uh, it doesn't, you know, make it make sense. Like yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> when, when we talk about unconscious bias, you know, you brought up something really interesting. A lot of times what um, organizations think will move the needle uh, when they, when they approach, you know, practitioners like you or people like me or others in the space, they're like, I just, I just want an unconscious bias training and that's just going to solve all my problems. And now, you know, you wave the, the magic L and D experience wand and um, now everything's good in my organization. Mm-hmm. When we think about actually tackling unconscious bias, because we know that it exists, let's call it what it is. When we think about tackling it, reducing it, eliminating it, do you think it's possible to do that within an organization? <laughs> Uh, it is not possible without an actual tool that can measure the impact of that. Um, it's, it's, it's almost the way that I think about it. It's like, if we didn't have, uh, if, if there were no officers on the road to, to pull us over, if we were speeding, right? Like there's no consequences. Um, and so it's one thing to have, you know, unconscious bias training, but if there's nothing that follows up to show how people are applying it and impacting it, and that's one thing. I think the other thing about unconscious bias is it's been played out so much, right? I think yeah. it's now time for us to move to the conversation of conscious, <laughs> conscious bias, yeah. right? Because it, it exists. Many mm-hmm. people um, will continue having the same behavior or the same pattern even when they are told how problematic that, that is. Um, so I, I think it's, it's truly, it's truly a miss for organizations to continue to lean on just unconscious bias and think that that's going to be the sole factor in solving all their issues because it won't. And in fact, um, you know, there were some research studies that I, I came upon and it showed and started to prove that with unconscious bias trainings, people continue to actually, it's, it's even overly amplified, right? And they continue with those actions because now they feel like it's something that they can lean back on. Well, that was unconscious. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was unconscious too. <laughs> yes, yes, and, absolutely. Um, yeah, and it becomes like their, their sole excuse for, um, for their poor behavior. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's it's really now time that, um, you know, that we're much more direct, especially as it pertains to language yes. and saying, no, this is conscious yes. behavior, right? Yes. If you've done this, you've been told and you've been educated 
educated on this already and you continue to do that, well, now it's conscious. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. One of the things that, um, you know, I, I do not like the terms implicit bias or unconscious bias for the exact reasons that you were just sharing. And, and, and I prefer to use the term conscious inclusion because what it does is it flips that narrative on its head. Like you said, you can no longer bow out. You can no longer be let off the hook because you need to lean in. There is action behind it. It's, you know, thinking, acting, deciding with conscious intent to manage, you know, the impact of bias in service of a sense of belonging for everyone. That is the definition. And so, yeah, it, it is, it is challenging for me to continue to hear unconscious bias, implicit bias, because like you said, it's so easy for someone just to surrender, throw up their hands and say, well, I, I can it was unconscious. Ah. <laughs> right. I did it 10 times, but it was unconscious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I, I think about the the stress and the toll that this work and yeah. can take on those of us who are DEI practitioners, especially when we are, you know, kind of um, coming against dead ends. You know, I, I like to call it, you know, beating our heads bloody against a brick wall. Um, yeah. And 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 so often, you know, there is. Um, it's, it's the psychological output of DEI accountability um, and action that can take a toll on those of us who call ourselves DEI practitioners. Can you talk a little bit about what people can do to ensure that they take care of themselves um, while, while doing this, this important, impactful work? Yeah, this work is not easy. It's not easy yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, and this is how come I say, even before, there are many people looking to get into the DEI space yes. and consult, right? right? And I tell folks that um, before you start consulting or even before you join an organization, you must ensure that the organization that you're working for or with answers some questions. And it's one do you have a budget, right? Right. Two, what are some results that you'd like to see at the end of the day? Three, who am I reporting to and what are those expectations? Four, what's the policy for me to take a break when I need it? Yeah. Right? Five, um, do I have a team, right? right. And we start look, looking at the frustration that exists for DEI leaders, it's also because they're doing it alone. Yeah. They don't have, they don't have a team of people, right? And that is really unfortunate because organizations are not putting the prep the proper budget aside to right. ensure that these leaders are in the right position. Mm-hmm. And so you have to ask yourself those questions before you even get into an organization or else your psychological safety, your mental state, um, it's its going to be a, a tough, a tough, tough road. Now, yeah. if you're already in it and yeah. you're like, oh Lord, what do I do now? <laughs> I did not ask those questions. And yeah. that's exactly what I'm experiencing. Mm-hmm. Then it is okay to share with the folks that you're working with that you need to take a break. Or if you're consulting, you need to take a break and truly to take that time to reflect on what are the things that are most important to you 
I think one of the, one of the things that many of us I think are now forgetting about is the COVID space that we were all in, right? Yeah. And yeah. how we learned how precious family is, how yeah. precious life is, right? And so if you are not ensuring that you're equipping yourself with the space and time, it's going to be very hard for you to pour out into others, right? right? And that's exactly what this work really requires. Uh-huh. Um, but I think also setting expectations for yourself, knowing when you have to say, okay, I no longer can work with this client. That's okay, right? You have to fire that client. It's okay. Right. Or I can no longer work at this company that is draining me. It is okay. And I know it's this part is really hard. And this advice is really hard for me to give because I understand sometimes we are so tied to our jobs yeah. because all we're literally looking to do as well is put food on the table for our families right. or support ourselves. And so sometimes when it gets really hard within an organization, you're just like, damn, I want to leave. I want to work up the courage to leave, but I also need the finance, the finances right. to sustain um, and live. Yeah. That part, and that's how come when I provide advice, I always like to pause and stop there and yeah. recognize it because there's privilege also in saying, yeah, I can, I can just leave when, when somebody's in a top position. So um, if you're in that position, then, then really making sure that you just like take some time to say, okay, I just need to take a break. I need some time off to yeah. reassess and on your time off, you better start looking for new opportunities. <laughs> Right. With individuals that, that work at organizations, do the pre-work before you get um, yeah. into an organization and start working because it can take a, t- it can take a toll. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. This, this conversation, Netta, is, is just so powerful and inspiring and I could hog you all day, uh, but I, I, I need to uh, ask our um podcast community if they have any questions for you um, and, and invite them to ask them. So I, I will say that now, if you have questions for Netta, um, as you see in the chat, um, you know, please prepare your questions, be willing to use the raise hand feature in Zoom, let us know you, you want to share, we can unmute you, we'll spotlight you, or you can just put your question in the chat and we'll bring that to the conversation. Um, so please keep that in mind. Um, Netta, your, your book, the inclusive organization. I mean, congratulations on that. That is that is so amazing. Thank you so much. What do you want to share with us about the book? How can we formulate an inclusive organization that really understands the needs of its employees as as you've been talking about this whole time? Yeah. So with this book, what I did um, is I wanted to make sure that uh, I had worksheets at the end of each chapter, because I really wanted for folks to apply their mm-hmm. learnings and mm-hmm. also then say, okay, here's how I can take this action within my organization, no matter the level I'm on. So I was very, yeah. very intentional about that, intentional inclusion. <laughs> um, so that's one aspect of it. The other aspect too was, um, I wanted to make sure that I tackled things that organizations are going through. So I have a chapter that talks about in, impactful uh, layoffs, inclusive, impactful layoffs, right? You never really think of like, how can a layoff be inclusive? Right, right. 
but they can be, right? But like also how does an organization make sure that they don't have to go through layoffs Mm -hmm. that really impact people's lives at the end of the day? How do you make sure that you don't just hire someone a month ago and then you lay them off after, you know, they, they purchased property somewhere because of the cost of living being lower and them knowing that you're a remote based organization. So I really, I dive into that. I start off with the behavioral psychology aspect of it. So it's decoding human behavior. Like, Mm -hmm. who are we? Why do we, why do we react the way that we do? How did we get to this place? I talk about the great divergence as well Mm. and what that means and where do we need to go, but how do we get there? So it's, it's, truly practical, but it guides readers every step of the way. Um, and there's some humor in there. I talk about company surveys and, uh, and, and more there's, there's just so much information. So I highly recommend everyone to pick a, uh, pick a copy up. That is exciting. What, what made you want to write a book? What made you decide to take the leap? Yeah. It's so interesting because, um, you know, early in my career, I've always wanted to write a book, but um, it didn't quite happen because I didn't align the purpose to writing a book. It was just like, oh, I want to write a book for the sake of writing a book, right? It wasn't until I really started to tap into my purpose that everything aligned. Um, and I was headed to, um, I was headed to LA for work and on that flight, and typically I sleep on flights, but on that flight, there was this sense of urgency that said, you have to write, like you have to prepare right now. And so the entire flight, I started to prepare. I wrote every summary um, of, of each chapter. I even had the chapter titles um, and I was, I was prepared, right? And then um, two weeks later, I received an email from one of the biggest publishing companies in the world, Wiley, asking me, hey, would you be interested in writing a book? And I remember the first time I got that email, I said, nope, that's spam. I literally <laughs> I was like, was Google listening to my thoughts? Cause I wasn't talking to anyone. I was just writing like, what happened nope. here? This can't be right. Right. Um, and so I'm just like the power of the Lord. Right. Um, and manifestation, but yeah, but I think what was so important and I share this with everyone that I talk with, when we believe in something, when we believe that something will come to pass, we must prepare. Yeah. You know, there's been many times where I thought I believed but I never prepared. Hmm. And for this particular book, I had prepared for it and it came to pass. And now it's in the hands of people and um, the type of responses that I'm receiving from the book and people saying, oh my goodness, I have not even thought of this. Oh my goodness, I can actually implement this at the level that I'm at within my organization um, is, is, is exactly what I was going for. So it's, it's truly a blessing. I love that. I, I love the the timing of that. You know, you're you're on a plane, you normally sleep on flights, you you feel this sense of urgency, right. you take out, you know, a pen, paper, your laptop, whatever it is that you're doing, and yeah. you are just writing, preparing for something you didn't even know you're preparing for. Yeah. I I I love that. That's that's when you know that it is that it is meant to be. That's when you know. Um, okay, we have a question in the chat from my friend, Dr. Michelle. Okay. Uh, so um, Michelle, feel free to raise your hand if you want me to take you off mute and spotlight you, or I can just ask the question on your behalf. 
Uh, so Michelle says, going back to measurement beyond numbers and demographics, what metrics or constructs do you think are the most critical for organizations to track to see if they are on track? Yeah. So I think about it in a very granular fashion. I think, um, I think promotions mm -hmm. are yeah. incredibly important to track, right? And I think tracking that also by demographic, who's being promoted, what's the tenure, how long does it typically take to what role, right? So if we see there's a specific demographic of people um, that are only promoted to maybe from associate to just a mid-level, yeah. right, then, then what's, what's happening there? Why, mm -hmm. why is that happening? Um, so promotions are, are definitely critical. I think pay compensation is extremely critical as well, right? Who's getting compensated what for what role? What are the disparities that exist there? We have to look at it by demographic as well, right? That That's really critical because when we start to think about um, the wealth gap that exists <laughs> and how wide that is, um, it's because many people also are still being paid significantly low compared to their peers. And so we have to assess that. Um, I also think retention is critical as well, right? Um, it's one thing, you know, like I always say to have representation, but if people are leaving and you don't know why they're leaving them, that yeah. that's terrible, right? Um, yes. Organizations are you know, I think organizations could do a better job of focusing on exit interviews as well. Agreed. Right? Why have individuals left from what demographic, from what population? Mm -hmm. um, and it could be from any population, but like, let's, let's fix it then. Let's yeah. not let it fall by the wayside. And I think um, oftentimes, you know, when folks leave organizations, it's just like, okay, well, that person left. Right. It's, Right. It's okay. We'll, we'll focus on the people that are here, but no, like, why did all those people leave? Let's mm -hmm. like, come back here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what I do with my children. Like, no, no, no. Come back here. Let's, let's, let's get to this. Um, so I think those are, those are definitely core things, but when I get granular, granular within the platform, I like to take a look at um, ERGs, employee resource mm -hmm. groups. Like, are they, are those people actually moving up within the organization? Because when you think about it, those are the people that are truly pushing DEI forward. Those are the, right. the true influencers within an organization. And so if you're part of a group and you're, you're doing everything you can to help the organization be more inclusive, but they're not looking out for you and you're not advancing and you still don't know any of the senior level folks, right, that are sponsoring your group or the executives that are um, supporting and sponsoring you, then that's a miss. So yeah. there has to be, it has to be an even exchange. And so we have to look at that measurement as well, right? Um, I think we have to look at the measurement of who are the executives that are actually driving this work, yeah. right? How often are they talking about it within their teams? How often are they setting meetings just about DEI? Like that's a peer measurement in itself. Like if you as a leader, you're not setting up, you're waiting for your DEI leader, HR leader to set up a meeting, a company-wide meeting to talk about DEI. Yeah. Then you've already failed. Yeah. <laughs> like you've already failed because I see DEI as a lens that we apply to our work. 
So if we're applying this lens to our work, then anyone can do it. Right. right? No one is supposed right. to be different from this. Right. Um, right. So yeah, there, I can go on and on. There's so many measurement points and that's what excites me about Aerodai as well, because I finally get a chance to build meticulously, build yeah. all of these things into this platform Yeah, um, that will really help, you know, leaders, because like, let's face it, some leaders just really don't know what to do. And right. they haven't really been guided as to how to do it correctly. And there's right. no tool that's measuring. Yeah. That. yeah. It's just yeah. demographic data, which it's like, okay, great. You have this representation, but now what? Those are, those are some really wonderful examples of how you can operationalize, right? Like the outcomes you're doing DEI right. And so what does it look like? It doesn't look just like the, the numbers, but sort of the movement. So I love that. Yeah. I'm curious about your thoughts, um, if I can hog you for one more minute. <laughs> I'm curious about your thoughts in terms of measuring some of the psychological constructs, if that's part of the platform. So, you know, pulse checks around psychological safety or belonging and whether, I think you're a quantitative person by nature, that was my training too, but I'm curious about your thoughts on qualitative data as well. Yeah, absolutely. Psychological safety is embedded. So uh, the way that we embed this is, we embed the measurements within the actual goals. And it's really dependent on um, what an organization wants to focus on from an overarching standpoint. And of course we guide them. You know, what I tell organizations is don't tackle too much <laughs> because then you won't be able to truly see the impacts, right? Tackle it at a small pace. And yeah, no ocean boiling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, take your time. So with psychological safety, we break that down and we're able to assess and talk to employees. Like, what does that actually mean for the organization? Because I always say, um, even with this conversation that we're having right now, I can't dictate that, that all of us are psychologically safe. I could set an environment, right? And I can hope for it, but it's us that dictates if we feel safe. And we dictate that by communicating with each other. So we're able to assess that as well by um, our people, or those that are introverts, are they actually speaking up? Do they feel safe enough to speak up, right? Those that are extroverts, are they providing space for people to do that? So we really break it down on a granular level um, to 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 really dissect it as we you know as it pertains to psychological safety. But excellent question. Thank you so much, and thank you yes. for being here. It's been a great conversation. So I am yeah. now going to let other people have you back. <laughs> thank you. Yes. Thanks, Michelle. I I have a question. I don't see any others in the chat and. You know, I'm so mindful of time, but I'm so curious about your perspective when it comes to representation, because we were just talking about this, you know, representation matters, as we know. And so when we think about organizations and their boards, you know, the leaders that drive the organization forward, when we think about, you know, board representation and making sure that that they have the the right representation when it comes to gender identity, when it comes to racial identity, you know, how can organizations make sure they're getting it right when it comes to leadership and representation? Yeah, I think one is they must look within their own organizations. <laughs> Oftentimes when we start to think about boards, um, it's almost like a secret society. <laughs> no one really knows how to get on a board. Right. Like that, we have to start it's, there, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. So I think boards have to do a better job of saying, okay, one, here's how you even get on a board and provide the opportunity for employees, especially from marginalized demographics to learn about how to get on a board, provide the space to actually um, build those relationships with folks, with employees within organizations to learn about, okay, well, what are their, what's their background? Are they in the trajectory to, to move into potentially an executive level role? Mm -hmm. How that, how can that then translate to being on the board, right? Like that would, there would be so much power in having an employee be able to be a board member, right? I agree. Or even someone um, as an advisory board member learning and then coming on as a full-fledged board member. Mm -hmm. So I think the, the knowledge is, is critical sharing that. And, and that's not widely shared. I'm on um, the advisory board of Betterment. And I learned of that through my former manager who was like, Hey, no one really knows of this. I'm a part of a group right, of leaders that were sharing this information, but I had to share this with you and they have to meet you. See how powerful that is. But if she, if I didn't have that relationship with right. her, yeah. Senior leader, I would have never known. I would have missed out on that opportunity. So yeah. it starts off with even building that relationship. I don't hear of many board members saying like, yeah, we're going into the organization. We're talking to employees. Right. We know of these people that are doing the work and where they want to, how they want to move within the organization and outside of the organization. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just, you know, another way that, that bias rears its head, you know, we have in our minds an idea of what a board member looks like, you know, who a board member is. And then we, we use that to kind of determine, you know, who will be appointed to, to the board. And, And of course that determines the direction of the organization, how resources are allocated, all kinds of things. And I see Maurizio in the chat saying, or have a separate youth board, and those people can be trained to prepare the organization for the future. I know a number of organizations right. in Philadelphia, yeah. especially where they do that. They have junior board members. And I think yeah. that's such a, such a great yeah. idea. Um, and pay them. Pay, pay yes, those yes. members, right? Yes. Like don't pay just them. them. It's, it's actual work. Cheap, but like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yes. Them. Give them the equity and the stock and all of that, that mm-hmm. um, any other board member would get. That's right. That's right. Oh, this has been an amazing conversation and we have one minute left. Typically what we do is, you know, I would love to ask you to, you know, leave us on some type of inspirational note. Let us know something upcoming that you, that you have going on or just something uh, that you would like to leave us with as we end our podcast today. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. Well, what I will say is, um, gosh, there's so many things I can talk about. One, definitely get the book, The Inclusive Organization. Um, Like I said, there are worksheets after every single chapter, and it really allows for folks to apply uh, principles and practices throughout the organization, no matter what level they are on. But even more importantly, advocate for AeroDye to be within your organization. Um, Reach out to me at aerodye.com and let's set up a demo for you and your team or the HR person or DEI leader because in order for us to truly see this narrative shift, in order for us to see this level of frustration removed from DEI leaders and HR leaders, we must have a tool that is going to bring everyone along in the process or else we will continue to do these workshops and these trainings 
And it's going to be very difficult for us to truly break through yeah. and show that DEI is simply removing barriers and DEI is simply a lens that people apply to their work. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much, Netta, for this conversation. Thank you for all of your insights. Thank you for taking your insights and your passion and your purpose and, and channeling it into things that will actually move the needle and enact sustainable change. This has been an amazing conversation. So thank you. And thank you to our vodcast community for joining us today on this Friday morning. And we will see you next week for another Intentional Conversations podcast. Thank you so much. Enjoy your weekend.